Also, when we go to stops where food was to be gotten or something like that, either I stay on the bus and they bring me the meal because they would be going into the place like little fast food. Or they had little social places right. for whites in that point. And they'd go in or either just where the food was being brought. You couldn't go inside. Blacks typically got their food outside. We're talking the early, uh, mid-60s, later 60s. You still had that kind of thing. I'm Byron Tyler. It's always a pleasure, friend, to have you stop by. I'm excited to bring you the program today as we are coming to you from the summit. It's a gathering of Tennessee Baptists across the state of Tennessee. And we're actually on location as we record this program at Bellevue Baptist Church. The summit has been taking place November 13th through the 16th. And it's been a great opportunity for Bot Radio Network to ex- expose the Bible teaching ministries that we provide, getting the Word of God into the people of God. No, we're not in competition with the church. We're helping the church disciple its members to follow Christ. And we're just a tool in the church's hand through radio broadcast with our Bible teachers. And we love our local pastors. And that's why this program is available. It has been since we've been on the air here in Memphis for 37 years now. I mean, it's been a long time that we've been on the air broadcasting God's Word and these local ministries we're excited to bring to you. Well, we have different pastors, and here we want to introduce to you Pastor Effort Alexander of Grace Through Faith Church. Pastor Alexander, welcome to Bot Radio Network. Well, thank you. I'm pleased to be here. How long have you been the pastor at Grace Through Faith Church? Well, uh, God used me to organize and begin our work, uh, and I've been the pastor Uh, Since that organizing and beginning work of 1990, uh, December was our first uh, formal uh, gathering as a church. So you have Um, an anniversary just around the corner? That's correct. Planning a church, was this the first time you'd ever had an endeavor like this? Was this your first effort? effort Yeah, I won't call it the first effort, but I'll, I'll certainly say it was the first such an experience as this. I had no forerunner of which I was connected with in that way. So it was a first. I've got to hear the backstory to this. Okay, so growing up, is Memphis home for you? No, it's not. In fact, my home is in lower central Mississippi about 55 miles south of uh, Jackson's city limits, a rural community. The process of God leading me through various stages of life to ultimately come to Memphis, Tennessee. I came uh, primarily having a sister who was a year older than me, married to a young man, and they lived here. And I came in connection with coming out of college and graduate school and all, looking for that particular job as an economist. What about family life? What is your mom and dad, what was life like around the Alexander home? Well, life was uh, centered around the church, ministering to relate to our Christian faith. Our church was the center of the community. We're talking a rural community. And in our area, the rural communities bear their name by their church. We were Mount Zion community, Mount Zion Baptist Church, Missionary Baptist Church, was the church of the community. In that environment of which I grew up, we actually go back, according to our records here, to the 1850s. And according to the history we traced our own family, we go back until 1806 in Virginia. And we were able to trace from our father's lineage, by name, 
transferring from there all the way through to Oklahoma and down into where we are currently. Our home base is in Suntag, Mississippi. And all I knew from the time I grew up was a focus towards our biblical faith and the person of Christ has come through there. Effort, what a beautiful story to have that heritage. What kind of work did your dad do? Well, we had farmland. In fact, we had our own farm. We also did, they did, I, I never did much of it. I was the younger boy of 16 children. Did you say 16 children? Yes, I was the youngest boy. I had a sister one year, me. Four of them died as infants of whom I never knew. But we grew up on a farm. Uh, we had Timur as a part of. And then we also worked out labor out of the community. Growing up in rural Mississippi yeah. as a young black man during a time of racial tension mm -hmm. prior to Dr. King's assassination, right? what was life like for you? Well, mine was quite different in some ways in this particular way. We grew up with the sense of self-worth relative to our faith in Christ. Can we stop there? Effort, I like what you said because according to our faith in Christ, our identity as believers is not based on the color of our skin because in Christ there is none. Amen. Our identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, which we Amen. share. We're one blood. Amen. Right? Exactly. In fact, I... So uh, your parents actually taught you that. Oh, they taught us in this way. They were influenced by the kinds of racial discriminatory and separativeness, as was everybody else. However, the values that we aspire to were... Christian values. And as such, if you really have that, and as I say, our church was center, our social life was structured around the church, and all of that. So I was influenced with that sense of identity. Now, I also was influenced sufficiently that we were not lesser than anyone, nor were we better than anyone. So when integration time came, particularly when it was school choice, you could choose to go in 1960s. I actually was the first African-American to attend an all-white school. There were four others below me in the class that we came together, but I was a senior person coming and we were integrating on the choice base. To that point, no one dared to choose. So I had much of the same experience that people had like in Little Rock or whatever. So Effort, you can actually remember the emotion that sure. you experienced the morning that you woke up and knew that you were going to walk onto this predominantly exactly. white campus exactly. for the first time. What yes. was that feeling like? Well, first, let me just say this to give you the structure of the matter. When I was in the 10th grade, and they had done this before with previous students, when you got to a certain grade, that grade level was the level of the integration process that you could enter. Well, none others had done that. All of us were talking about it. In my class, everybody was saying they were going. It turned out nobody but me. And when I was asked by the principal, are you still planning to go? And by the way, I hadn't asked my parents anything. So this is on your own? I thought I would. I really wasn't. They were getting heat and connected with the process and what decisions, you know, because it was just asked. And I was saying, yes, and I had my best friends and everybody, they were going to go. So it wasn't like I thought I was going to be alone. But it came to the point of the day of the finalization of the process. And that next year, by that time, everybody, according to the principal, came to me, says, look, you're the only person 
that is saying they're still going. Are you going? Well, frankly, I'd have to tell you right here. It just came out that, yes, I'm going. <laughs> Where did that yes come from, right? <laughs> I, I know now about what God has done with my life. But, uh, yeah, I, I said yes. And for some reason, even when it came to the days and days after, it was hard. I could never say no. I was consistent in even when having choice at the end of the first year to go back. Yeah. I had some pretty strange experiences. I could not, but... By the end of that first year, there was a connection being driven for me. Did you find a friend? Did you have somebody that you could confide in that you felt like you could just accept you for who you were? Well, let me ask you, if you think this is, but at the level of what my experience was, this is friend. A friend would be the person who, though I was isolated in this particular class structure, I was the only one, say, we went to breaks, there were four other black students at a lower grade. The only connections that I felt a connection with anybody primarily was in the classroom. So I would look forward to classes actually being active. The breaks were my horror story yeah. because I would be isolated. Not that the students had, and this I know of God, most of them had no personal anything towards me. They had the culture and the limitations of what they were to act like. So a friend would be somebody who may look over at me and say hi. Uh, when I take my breaks, which was our normal breaks, I'd go and stand on the side of the building while the kids did what kids do. And remember, I'm in the 11th grade now. They're not just small kids. Do They probably would have wandered in and we'd have got together and whatever. But I would stand on the side of the building and I would feel the horror of loneliness. I would get into prayer at times. I think that brought me to his class. However, I want no one to conceive that it was the students acting out anger or right. disgust towards me. Right. In fact, as the year went on, there were some, and they were taking real chances in their mind, who would come up and take the time to talk to me a minute or so. Because this was a new experience for them, too. Oh, my God, yes. And any time, that's why it is so misguiding to conceive of simply what you see as something that defines what really is. You would have seen me stand on the side of, of the building while this particular class is out. You would have seen me in the dining hall. I would be at a table. Nobody at the table but me. There were times I couldn't afford a meal, lunch, and I'd just be sitting there. Now, all of these things occurred, but for someone to use the narrative, which is the common narrative, it would be, look at whites and how they're acting towards you. And frankly, there were only, as the time went on, there were a very small number of kids that actually exerted their race or racist kind of things, but they were all captured in it. And as you mature in the Lord and grow in the Lord, one of my most beneficial times of spiritual growth and also of actually uh, growing to a connection with what happens in people that may cause for. And I would tell you today, I'm probably one of the least persons who actually sees whites in a what you did to me or didn't do to me or didn't do anything and all this kind of stuff. Because by the time that year progressed, 
I'd start playing some things with them. Initially, there'd be a few who would do something like trip me up, we play basketball or do this or that. Coach came to me and actually agreed to run track. I wasn't any super athlete by no means, but I was running the mile, which was very unusual anyway for blacks back in the day to run the mile. I ran the mile. Initially, when we would go on trips. Now, remember now, we're in Mississippi or in the South, in the lower part of the state. This is not something that is commonly, we hadn't integrated yet in no particular way like that. So when we'd ride the bus, like elsewhere, I'd be sitting on my seat, wherever I sit, and I'd be, you know, me. And so we get to track, and you do your, what you do, you run, you have an obvious engagement with each other because right. you're on the team. But progressively, someone came along, we sit right next to the seat, and progressively a conversation might start. Not long conversation, just a brief kind of thing. Initially also, when we go to stops where food was to be gotten or something like that, either I stay on the bus and they bring me the meal because they would be going into the place like little fast food. Or they had little social places right. for whites in that point. And they'd go in or even just where the food was being brought. You couldn't go inside. Blacks typically got their food outside. We're talking the early, uh, mid-60s, late, later 60s. You still had that kind of thing. Yes. Sometimes it was through the back door. Right, or, 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 yeah, the back. It wasn't you go in where they go or you uh, no. buy from where they buy. Exactly. All this existed and it was happening. Nothing was changed except I'm in a different place. And they are having to associate with a different experience right up front, yes. close up and personal. Water fountains were still segregated. What happened though, with time, it wasn't the first year, by the next year, not only were we kind of communicating, then persons could actually come and sit on the seat with me. And not only were we sitting on the seat with me, finally this was a big one. In our little school town, which we call Monticello, Mississippi, there was a, a place where teenagers kind of hang out and they had food and different things there. So when we come back from the track meet, this was a big, a big <laughs> this one. Was bigger. This was a big one. I'm invited and we all go into that particular. Uh, what what uh, was that like for you, Everett? What was that moment like for you? I don't have much remembrance of a like moment yeah, as yeah. much as a moment of change because it was progressively occurring where I was not only received, I knew that there was an endearment from some of them, that they not only uh, identified with me in the sense of what I must be experiencing, but they had a disdain. They weren't vocal always, but you can identify with communable yes, spirits. Right. when it, And that was taking place I knew of them. That would now you say who you look to and identify with. I had the warmth of recognizing persons who were for me. You were really part of the team. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, I was. And, and for the culture, they were trying to navigate in and through. I mean, because many of these students were living from the prejudice of their parents sure. and the generational sure. racism that had been taking place. Sure. This sure. was a breakthrough for them also. Oh, well, listen, when we finally integrated the year after I graduated, my uh, sister, who was a year behind me of these 16, <laughs> so, it was then the FORCE Act 
of the full integration of the school. Our school integrated with the least kind of disturbing reactions to that, which I could almost say certainly, if that precursor to that, now I don't say it's going to be violent or anything, no, right. but it would have been a different sense because they would have been totally brought into a sense of this whirlwind change. But I think they had identified with that process, not to say adapted it, but they've taken conscious position. And there's no question in my mind that even though I was used of God and those who were behind me, they didn't have the experience that I had. But again, I would also beckon that they did not have the growth. God used you effort to be a troubadour for the cause of Christ. And as you mentioned, in a lonely place. Oh, man. But you weren't alone. No. You recognized in the middle of all of that, you recognized that your identity was in Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. And you mentioned about praying. Yeah. So you were depending on Christ during that time. Right. Uh, In the middle of all that. Right. Now, from a small child, I see myself in conversion about nine. And God had done special things that make very clear that he's God. It wasn't that I had the maturity or anything that I'm talking from at this point, but I had the awareness. And I was pressed towards God. By this time now, I've already been saved. I mean, a personal transitional process. And by before this time, I've already committed to the Lord that I would be whom he had impressed upon me to be as a preacher, a pastor. My grandmother when I was just a small kid, and I remember it very well because I used to cry every time she'd say it and say, no, 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 no. And she said, no, but son, this is going to be, you're going to be my preacher. My mother had 16 kids. And of those, of the boys there, I'm at the end of seven of them. She's the only one was staring on me and saying this. This is my mother's mother. And I would be crying, telling her, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I always vision, even as a small child, to about nine, a pastor is a lonely character. I see them, they look like they just don't have no fun, no life, no nothing. (laughs) And so when I was nine years old, the Holy Spirit impressed and brought. It It wasn't a smooth transition for me to have to make this decision. This is how my salvation decision was, really. And I was just a kid. It was clear to me that if you are rejecting what I am directing, I didn't have these words, but it was very clear. And I found myself confessing and accepting and saying to the Lord, he had done some things and all kinds of things that made me, that Lord, I'll preach and be your preacher or whatever. But in the consummation of it all, though, I gave myself to the Lord. I didn't know all the words. I knew that he was to be the life in whatever life you have for me. And when I was 29, give you a note, my sister, the one under me, was riding with me and my wife. I'd gotten married by then. And my wife was driving a car behind me. I'd gotten a car from my mother, uh, so we had the car drove down with. On the way back to Memphis, living in Memphis by then, uh, sun bright, one o'clock or something like that in the day. And my wife drives my hand and she flicks a light and she thinks something is said to her, flick your lights on. And she started laughing and telling my cousin, I'm going to flick the lights on. See, I saw it. I thought there was something wrong. And so I flicked my light. We both were riding in the left lane of interstate. And I decided to move over. Within the seconds, I didn't see the car. It was a flash on the wrong side of the road, driving, I don't know what it was driving, 
and I moved, and she moved with me, moving it was right by us in that way. Now, the only thing I can say is I was 29 years old, and it was the Holy Spirit. We stopped after that, and we talked. And we told each other what I'm telling you. And we knew it was the Spirit of God. We, by then, because we have a relationship with the Lord, we didn't know anything. And he said, you know, something said to me, play a joke on you. And I started laughing. And I even told Robin, I'm going to do this. It's so silly. I don't know why, but I'm just going to do it. So she did. And as I said, I thought by turning my signal, she said she thought that a light was on for me to turn the light. And so she thought something was wrong with me. Wow. So she decided to move too. Wow. God's yeah. faithful protection and guidance. Yeah. And that is just characterized in your whole story here, Everett, today as you're sharing about growing up in rural Mississippi and just uh, in a time of change for our country, knowing that all that God has brought you through by his faithfulness yeah. is your identity is in Christ and secure yeah. in that and then seeing him faithfully carry you through. Right. This is such a great story. Okay. I do want to make sure our friends know that you are pastoring Grace Through Faith Church. Mm -hmm. Where's the church located at? 3150 East Holmes Road, Memphis, which is basically about a mile and a half as the crow flies from the airport. Tracing the road around, you're on Holmes Road, and airways about a mile from the intersection of Holmes and airways or Tulahoma and uh, Holmes Road. When do you meet? Uh, we meet at nine o'clock after our service time. We do our study, our Sunday school studies, and we have our home studies during the week okay. for, for us now. Do you have a website or a Facebook page that people wanted to kind of connect with you, learn more about the ministry? Uh, the Facebook page, we do a lot of ministries that speaks to the woke culture that we're identifying in and so on. But uh, it's grace through Faith Memphis. That's just one for the Facebook. Yeah. Uh, and that through is T-H-R-U. That's right. T-H-R-U. Right. So, yeah. Grace Through Faith Memphis is our Facebook page. I would like to share a conclusion uh, that really is climatic to this process. When I got ready to graduate, the word was out that I wasn't going to be able to graduate. The only person who came to my graduation, my mom, and the lady who drive the bus that we would go the bus with. And I was late getting there. And they were just kind of terrified because they didn't know what had happened to me and nothing had except we were delayed. I'm uh, one of the first ones to march in and so on. So you can imagine the, the whole atmosphere was held captive uh, with an uncertainty because there's some word that you'll never graduate from school. Now this isn't school because I had some teachers like the Russells that are just monumental in review in life. I would say to you though I wouldn't choose to go back but rather than not be where God has made for me to be, and I know that was key to it, I would go back because uh, the way he allowed me to value people, to recognize that this is not flesh and blood war, to see that what some do does not define all. In fact, a few are often what is, what the masses are, is quite different. I don't identify race as its constructions that we have it as, but superficial and it's also divisive. And there's only one, and that the natural order of us is that we would interface with each other uh, on the way of life. The unnatural is to set these kinds of tones. And as long as we keep defining each other as white and black and this, and the different divisional definements, 
there was a time when they were used for a purpose. The purpose wasn't that good. They now are part of what keeping this momentum and directive that we are moving at bay. And the more they institute segregated and separated kinds of things, they call them programs that's for improvement. But anytime that you assign a name, black, white, black folk, community of this order, we need to be able to see people in distinctions in certain ways because we need to know who did this and who did that. I'm talking about in terms of crime and criminal. Other than that, I don't need to know what you look like when you ran the 100 yard or what you look like uh, when you became president or what you look like. When you're doing the things of God, unity of our being has no expression except the spiritual aspects of what we are engaging. Yes, and that's the dark side of our sinful nature because the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Exactly. And so it's just a pollutant of our sinful nature. One final thing I'd say, our convention is striving hard. Our leaders, we have some fine leaders, striving hard to put behind us things to the point that we're overreaching, uh, allowing for instituted ways called like the black dish, the white church, in an effort to try to confirm that we're all together in this. We can have something exist for orientation, but it should be projected for final extinction. There shouldn't be anything in our convention that has a bears a name that defines a people group by something that's physiological or any such thing. And as long as that occurs, we are actually implanting division. And we should not allow for the continual separate grouping in the way in which it is occurring because it, long term, it is divisive. I've been through enough that I feel like I have a credential to say I can say something when someone wants to say, well, you hadn't experienced this or you hadn't experienced that. Your experience does not define what the realities of truth is and the marching orders of God. And if you follow the marching orders of God, your experience will only make you more grounded in what he says to you. All right, my brother. Effort, God bless you, my brother. Thank you so much. Well spoken. Thank you for being so transparent, sharing your story with us. It's a gospel story. It's glory to Christ for what he's done sure. in your life and ministry. You can't be a stranger to Bot Radio Network. You're going to have bless to come you. back and be part of some future bless broadcast. You. Thank you so much, my dear brother. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of our program here at the Summit Gathering of Tennessee Baptists held at Bellevue Baptist Church. The date is we're recording through November 13th through 16th. I'm Byron Tyler for the Bot Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. Hope you have a great day. Bye-bye.